Part six, chapter five of the Manxman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Manxman by Sir Hall Kane. Part six, chapter five. Come, Bridget, Saint Bridget, come in at my door. The crocks on the bink and the rush. She's fast, said Nancy. Rocking this one to sleep is like waiting for the kettle to boil. You may try and try and blow and blow, but never a sound. No sooner have you forgotten all about her, but she's singing away as steady as a top. Nancy put the child into the cradle, tucked her about, twisted the head of the little nest so that the warmth of the fire should enter it, and hung a shawl over the hood to protect the little eyelids from the light. Will you keep the house till I'm home from Sulby, Pete? I've my work, woman, said Pete from the parlour. I'll put a junk on the fire and be off then, said Nancy. She pulled the door on to the catch behind her and went crunching the gravel to the gate. There was no sound in the house now but the gentle breathing of the sleeping child, soft as an angel's prayer, the chirruping of the mended fire like a cage of birds, the ticking of the clock, and through the parlour wall the dull pat-pat, pat-pat of the wooden mallet and the scrape of the chisel on the stone. Pete worked steadily for half an hour, and then came back to the hall kitchen with the tools in his hand. The cob of coal had kindled to a lively flame, which flashed and went out, and the quick black shadows of the chairs and the table and the jugs on the dresser were leaping about the room like elves. With parted lips, just breaking into a smile, Pete went down on one knee by the cradle, put the mallet under his arm, and gently raised the shawl curtain. "'God bless my motherless girl,' he said, in a voice no louder than a breath. Suddenly, while he knelt there, he was smitten as by an electric shock. His face straightened, and he drew back, still holding the shawl at the tips of his fingers. The child was sleeping peacefully, with one of its little arms over the counterpane. On its face the flickering light of the fire was coming and going, making lines about the baby's eyes and throwing up the baby features. It is in such lights that we are startled by resemblances in a child's face. Pete was startled by a resemblance. He had seen it before, but not as he saw it now. A moment afterwards he was reaching across the cradle again, his arms spread over it, and his face close down at the child's face, scanning every line of it as one scans a map. "'Deed, but she is, though,' he murmured. "'She's like him enough, anyway.' An awful idea had taken possession of his mind. He rose stiffly to his feet, and the shawl flapped back. The room seemed to be darkening round him. He broke the coal, though it was burning brightly, stepped to the other side of the cradle, and looked at the child again. It was the same from there. The resemblance was ghostly. He felt something growing hard inside of him, and he returned to his work in the parlour. But the chisel slipped, the mallet fell too heavily, and he stopped. His mind fluctuated among distant things. He could not help thinking of Port Moore, of the Carras men, of the day when he and Philip were brought home in the early morning. Putting his tools down, he returned to the room. He was holding his breath and walking softly, as if in the presence of an invisible thing. The room was perfectly quiet. He could hear the breath in his nostrils. In a state of stupor he stood for some time with his back to the fire and watched his shadow on the opposite wall and on the ceiling. The cradle was at his feet. 
He could not keep his eyes off it. From time to time he looked down across one of his shoulders. With head thrown back and lips apart, the child was breathing calmly and sleeping the innocent sleep. This angel innocence reproached him. My heart must be going bad, he muttered. Your bad thoughts are blackening the dead. For shame, Pete Quilliam, for shame. He was feeling like a man who is in a storm of thunder and lightning at night. Familiar things about him looked strange and awful. Stooping to the cradle again, he turned back the shawl onto the cradle head as a girl turns back the shade of her sunbonnet. Then the firelight was full on the child's face, and it moved in its sleep. It moved yet more under his steadfast gaze, and cried a little, as if the terrible thought that was in his mind had penetrated to its own. He was stooping so when the door was opened, and Caesar entered violently, making asthmatic noises in his throat. Pete looked up at him with a stupefied air. Peter, he said, will you sell that mortgage? Pete answered with a growl. Will you transfer it to me, said Caesar? The time's not come, said Pete. What time? The time foretold by the prophet when the lion can lie down with the lamb. Pete laughed bitterly. Caesar was quivering, his mouth was twitching, and his eyes were wild. Will you come over to the mitre, then? What for to the mitre? Ross Christian is there. Pete made an impatient gesture. That stormy petrol again. He's always about when there's bad weather going. Will you come and hear what the man's saying? What's he saying? Will you hear for yourself? Pete looked hard at Caesar, looked again, then caught up his cap and went out at the door. End of Part 6 Chapter 5